Hi, today's letter is H, and our word or phrase for today is high-performing teams. High-performing teams are at the heart of agile implementation because the bottom line is, is that we tried very structured approaches to software development, and a lot of times that's aligned with the waterfall approach. Whereas Agile is saying, relax all these processes and procedures and steps and phase gates and checks and balance and status reports. And let's just get back to the human factor of the people who make software. And what they found, and I've also found in in my career, is that when you have a motivated and engaged team, that team will want to do the right things. They'd want to produce a high quality product and they want to take pride in that what they've produced. And knowing, especially in software development, that you can't push anything out into a production environment uh, on any scale without the team. So that's why um, in our environment, unlike maybe some other industries, team is so important. There are different levels of competency and professional skills that not one person can take the whole software development life cycle from beginning to end. You have to have your testers, your business analysts, your architects, your database administrators, you might have your security specialist, your user interface specialist. So, and this is something people not knowing IT from the outside looking in. You hear a lot about the coder, but the coder in and of themselves can't do it alone. Think of it, you know, a good analogy is like a surgeon. Yes, the surgeon is the main focus when you're going into surgery. But could they do it without the nurses, with the, without the anesthesiologist, even without the admission clerk that collects the information? So, and, and it, maybe even relying upon uh, x-ray technicians who are taking the, and providing the film that the doctor is looking at to make their determination of what they're going to do in the surgery. So it takes a team. That's the same way it is with software development. So, with that said, over the years, people have been focused on their own individual contributions. And the reason why is because they've been rewarded as an individual. Well, when Agile came along and it was all about people and communications and team, then we had to relook at how are we rewarding and recognizing our resources. You can no longer reward that superstar and hold them up among all their other team members and say, look at this wonderful engineer, this wonderful coder, this wonderful architect, because it had a negative effect on the rest of the team, their morale, their ego, um, and it felt as if they, their contributions were less. So, 
Now it's about the holistic approach of the, the team and valuing every player on the team. And this leads to a high-performing team. So one of the things when I was doing my research, I will say, I've seen some of the nicest infographics related to high-performing teams. I went through, and, and sometimes the pictures may be nice, but once you peel back, it took me a while to find one that I really felt like captured it, didn't overstate it, and just actually really reflect what I've seen and experienced. The one that I'm looking at in particular, this one is uh, Drexler Sobet. That's uh, D-R-E-X-L-E-R hyphen S-I-B-B-E-T. This is their diagram. It's kind of a V diagram. And it starts out when you're developing a high-performing team. There's seven stages they have. And like I said, it's in a V-shape. At the top left corner of the V, it says the orientation phase. And that's why am I here? So the, the person just kind of understand what their purpose is, um, their team identity, what their membership or what their role is in the team. The next level is trust building. This one, again, I, I can completely relate to this particular diagram um, and, and have stories to, to share along the way. But the, the trust building, that mutual regard and reliability, feeling like you can rely on that other team member that, and we often say that they'll carry their weight, that they have the same work ethics and approach. Um, and the other thing that I like that they mention here when they talk about trust building is forgiveness. And that's something I've experienced is that when you have team members, you can't expect other team members to be perfect all the time, never make mistakes in the same way that you're not perfect. And what I've seen on teams is that we're all getting along, but the first time you make a mistake, the fingers start pointing. It's on you. A really strong, high-performing team, um, and I, I recently have you know experienced new teams kind of experiencing that bonding experience when they get called out or one member on the team gets called out and was asked to basically rat out one of their team members. Some code went into production that was wrong and the product owner was asked whose fault was it? Why was this missed? Now, I've been in many circumstances where someone might say, it's the BA. No, it's the developer. No, the tester should have tested Fingers pointing back and forth. Well, in this scenario, the product owner said, we missed it. And at that point, the team perked up and chimed in and said, yes, we missed it. We know what we did wrong. We're going to make sure that we put things in, in place so that we don't do it again. But no one got thrown under the bus. This is phenomenal uh, example and something that just that alone helped the team bond. Now, that's just number two. So we've gone from orientation to trust building. The next one is goal clarifications. What are we doing? This is kind of helping 
establish the goals, the objectives, a shared vision, common understanding. These are key words that we talk about when we talk about Agile. And the one thing, because you all know, it's no secret that I have strong ties and affinity for the business analyst role. This is something that the business analyst was doing in the waterfall paradigm. And this is a skill set that many seasoned business analysts have. The ability to facilitate that shared understanding. Now, there may be other people on the team. You also have your, your scrum master, of course. But make sure that you have a, a person that can help facilitate. And part of that facilitation is recognizing through actions and body language and, and reactions that is everybody really on the same page. We might be talking a lot, but there still may be disconnects in I know myself with my many years of experience as a business analyst, my ears are fine-tuned when I can hear two people talking, but they're not really on the same page and being able to hone in and facilitate that right there on the fly. So, still going down my V. These are the, again, there's the seven stages of developing a high-performing team. So there's three on the right side of the V. The first one was orientation. The second one was trust building. Now we just talked about goal clarification. Why are we doing this? And so right there in the middle, the next one is commitment. How will we do it? So that's a part of either assigning the type of roles, who's going to play what role, how are decisions going to be made, how are things going to be reported, how are resources going to be allocated, how are resources going to be put on the team or taken from the team. This is the team commitment. One of the things that you know in Agile, it is strongly emphasized that once you pick the members of the team, and it's highly recommended, it's somewhere between six to nine, you don't have big teams, just for the fact that you want them to be able to gel and you want everybody to be heard in the different aspects of your uh, communication. So when you have really big teams, it's just not possible for everyone to be heard and to feel comfortable. So that six to nine is a really proven comfortable size. So in these small teams, the next piece that sometimes management tries to skirt around, but the fact of the matter is these need to be dedicated teams. I get asked this quite often in class that do the teams have to be dedicated and what's the impact? It's a huge impact. Literally, and, and I do an exercise in my class, when I do a breakout session and let them do one or two exercises together, and just shifting out one resource, the whole team dynamics has to be recalibrated. In the world of Agile, I often say, when you bring a new member in or take one out of the team, the team will need the next two to three sprints to recalibrate their velocity. I have seen where management 
had a new team, Agile team. They were beginning to, and a lot of you know about forming and storming and norming as a, a, a team and then conforming. Going through those phases. That's what teams go through. Well, this team was kind of leveling out, getting to know each other, getting to know each other's work styles and personalities. But management thought that they could speed up that process by bringing in a seasoned, agile person. Um, Someone that had been working on another team that um, was well-established. So they just thought by bringing someone over that had a lot of agile experience, they'd speed up the gelling of the team. But, of course, it did just the opposite. Whereas the team was just getting comfortable with each other, they were determined what was the right pace for them as far as learning and absorbing new things, you might have someone come in that comes across as a know-it-all, might rub everyone the, the, the wrong way. So you get the exact opposite reaction. Or the team members that had started to step up and helping the team to learn different facets, they might feel that they no longer need to be as engaged. They'll just let this know-it-all make all the decisions. That could be a dangerous thing. That's not a healthy team. It's not a high-performing team. So be careful of them. And that's one of the things. It's so important. Team, you can't have egos and sometimes even titles. It has to be very clear. Titles just represent your specialized skills, but doesn't mean someone's more important than another or knows more than the other. One ground rule, and if you take away nothing else, maybe this will be very helpful to you. I had other students that love um, this phrase, is when you have an agile team, no one owns the definition of agile. It doesn't matter if you've done Agile on another job with another team and another company. It doesn't matter if you took a class and got a certificate and call it a certification. It doesn't matter because Agile is about what feels right for your team. So you can't bring over your practices from another team and apply it and really say that you're being Agile because Agile by definition is the team is self-directing, not an individual, not some specialist, not some guru. It's the team's decision. Um, so if you want to carry over a practice of nothing else, it's being open and gelling with your team and together as a team, understanding what works well for you. So now I'm on. That's my step four. Commitments. Okay. How will we do it? How will we work together? What are going to be the roles? Now, on my going up the right side of my V, the next one is, after commitment, is implementation. So the left side of the V was the steps for creating the team. The right side of the V is all about sustaining the team. And that starts off with implementation. So who does what, when, and where? This is then how are we going to interact together? Now, in traditional waterfall, this is where you might establish processes and procedures. And we had SOPs, standard operating procedures and task lists. Now, Agile is going to be a lot more relaxed than that. There are ceremonies, and those ceremonies are very important. Now, again, I talk about the flexibility of the team determining what they want to do. 
I'm all for that with Agile, but you need educated decisions about ceremonies. And too often, teams want to disregard some key ceremonies established by scrums. In my experience, the scrum approach to Agile has distilled it down to the very basic ceremonies. And I dare say the healthy teams, the high-performing teams that I've experienced in the last 12 to 14 years are using their scrum ceremonies. So that's something that you need to decide during your implementation. Now, what flavor and variation and intensity of those ceremonies, that's where I like to see the flexibility, but not disregarding or declining to use certain ceremonies. The scrum ceremonies, the basic scrum ceremonies are high value. Now, after that, when we talk about sustaining, going up the right side of our V, which will be our number six, is high performance. Getting to that wow stage. This is where it's no longer we're just getting to know each other. It's no longer that we're just following the ceremonies that are there for us. At this point, we're really getting our synergy. We have a flow. We have relationships and we're seeing results above and beyond just getting the work done. It's the real wow factor. And the wow factor also, I would say, is that every member of the team is engaged. They're, they have value. They have trust. And they have real relationships. Not just the superficial that's come to work, but real relationships. Now, one of the things is that I see sometimes that teams try to fast track the wow factor in that, yes, we can play games together. We can go out and do team building exercises. We can go to Dave and Buster's and laugh and have some shared experience. All great and wonderful approaches to helping build the team. But really, when you get to that wow stage, that is just an organic feeling between team members. And for a long time, corporate America didn't even encourage you to have relationships for with, with team members. I dare say I've been in environments where they actually pitted members of the team against each other, competing for raises and promotions and titles and offices and um, just jockeying for positions. And whether management meant to or not, um, that's a whole nother story, but they actually pitted it. It could have been individuals or teams. We know, especially in IT, we for a long time have had animosity between the business versus the technical teams. Within the technical teams, there was animosity between developers and testers. Testers and BAs, BAs and developers, and everybody in project management. So there were always these walls and silos. So the team, there really needs to be a organic harmony. And some people get uncomfortable with it. But it even gets to the level where people talk about how they feel on the team. In the retrospects, it shouldn't be just talking about processes and procedures. We need to change this process. We need to do this this way. Um, this ceremony isn't working. If that's your only conversation at your retrospects, you're not getting to the organic piece, the human factor, 
where you're really getting to those things that are going to really pump up people's motivation, inspire them, energize them, and build the the harmony among the team. So keep that in mind. And, And good coaches, good scrum masters are going to be the on the lookout to help teams in that that process. And sometimes that means team members being uncomfortable because sometimes you have to confront some of the negative behaviors. I'll give you an example before I move on, but on one of our teams, one of our team members was really resisting kind of agile and wanted things still documented and our coach We went to our coaches, our management, and instead of them intervening, they told us to sit down and have an intervention uh, of sorts with that team member. So sometimes building and getting to the high performance means you have to confront some things. It means people have to be uncomfortable. But being uncomfortable is part of that honesty building and that trust building is that we can be open and honest with each other and it not be personal but it be for the good of the team. Okay? Now, I'm going to take you to last item here, number seven, which is renewal, which is why continue. And for this piece here is that, again, as much as you can have camaraderie and harmony on your team, because I've heard many people say, um, even in Waterfall, I love the people I work with, I just hate coming to work. (laughs) Um, And this piece here is you've got to keep feeding. You never just have a high-performing team, a healthy team, and then say, we're done. You've got to keep re-energizing them, renewing that, um, and make sure things don't get stagnant. common example is I have many people, after a short period of time, say the stand-ups are stagnant. Well, as a team, and back to my scrum masters, my coaches, you have to make sure. What are we doing? Because your stand-up should be what sets the tone and the energy for the whole day. So do you start it with a joke? Do you start it with a, a chant or a song or some team mantra? Something to help renew, not just at your retrospects, but throughout every day, giving people a reason Um, to be there. Sometimes it's recognition and sometimes it's shaking things up a little bit. Changing people's roles. We hear about cross-functional roles on Agile. Don't let people become complacent. That's the, that is what sabotages the energy is when people get bored or burnt out. And it, it may be unintentional, but those are the two things that will sabotage the team's energy and motivation. It might be high for a moment, but then anything can become mundane. So what are you doing to keep it fresh and lively and fun? I will say, since I am recording this from the Agile 2017 in Orlando, Florida, the week-long conference, um, I, I can tell you, the energy at this conference has been unparalleled. <laughs> I, I can't put it any other way. They really put out there opportunities for people to really get energized and gave some great examples of ways to go back and energize your team by interjecting fun, lightening things up. Work, we spend so much time at work in IT, 
the the norm is ten hours, I dare say, at least in, in, in many environments, especially when you're doing project work. So that said, so important to make it a place of comfort, of relaxation. I'll end with a, a example that I've seen here at the conference. They have a therapy corner. You can go check in and just whether it's vent, um, ask for help talk through an issue they have therapists here um and some of them may or may not be your agile coach maybe you need to vent about your agile coach maybe you need to vent about your scrum master but having someone to vent to that again is sometimes people just need to get it off their chest um or off their minds that's a way of renewal so this has been the seven stages of developing a high-performing team. Orientation, trust building, goal clarification. Then right there in the center is commitment. And going up the right leg of our V is implementation. That high-performance wow stage. And then that renewal. The one thing I say about teams is you might have a high producing team, but at the end of that project or stage or phase or sprint, if everybody's looking to get off the team, leave the company, if you're having turnover and churn, then you've got a renewal problem. So hope you enjoyed today's sip and stay tuned. I'll be providing a weekend recap of Agile 2017. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye for now.